Don't be wasting any time, I got somewhere to be. Always on the grind, yeah, you know me. Hold the crown. Payback Time is a podcast that dives into the real story behind the person. How did they build their business? What challenges did they overcome? What mistakes did they make? And how did they achieve their goals? The overall objective is to provide you with a roadmap that leads to success. Sean Tepper is your host. Are you ready? It's Payback Time. Imagine having to smuggle liquor into your country as a means to generate cash flow. The stress between getting caught and sent to jail or spending another day starving will leave a lasting impact on anyone. Being raised in poverty-stricken neighborhoods of Poland, my next guest learned how to hustle at the young age of seven. At the age of 10, his parents migrated to the U.S., and in order to make ends meet, they worked three to four minimum wage jobs around the clock. He quickly learned that working a job should only be temporary. To truly get ahead, you need to own assets, especially assets that produce ongoing cash flow. He's owned and operated several ventures throughout his professional career, but today he owns an agency that helps market online courses. In this episode, he talks about the do's and don'ts of course creation, why you shouldn't listen to online marketers, and why the information age is dead. He also emphasizes the importance of product, market, educator, fit. In other words, if someone is going to create a successful online course, they need to not only find product market fit, but they have to truly be the right teacher for the job or they won't generate any sales. Please welcome Tom Liebelt. Tom, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for joining me. And, and what I'd like to do is have you kick us off and uh, tell us your career backstory. So take it away. Career backstory. It depends how far you want to go. But <laughs> it's, like my, my first memory of uh, being in business was when we were still living in Poland back when I was seven. Okay. And my dad was smuggling stuff in and out of Poland because that was the only way he could make money. You know, it was a communist country. And I remember mm -hmm. my job was to be in the back of the car as he had some liquor and things packed behind the seat. Wow. And I had to scream and cry during the customs search. That was my job so that they didn't feel like going <laughs> over it very Just much long. Yeah. So, you know, as, as they, you know, as they took me out the car every time, but they were like, you know, hitting the seat and I made so much noise that it's like, just, you know, let this kid go. He's sleepy, you know? So this yep. was usually middle of the night. That's like my dad's plan. Like we're going to hit it at like 1am mm -hmm. or 2am. So after that, uh, we would bring the stuff and then he would take me to the soccer stadiums on the weekends in Poland uh, where yeah. he sold everything. So I was, you know, from like an early age, I was kind of thrown into the hustle, not business. My dad was definitely not business minded at all. Like I had to learn all that mm -hmm. by myself, but the street smarts and hustle. Yeah. I learned that very quickly. Right. So yes. that was like the initial kind of push. Right. Then when we moved to the States, uh, my parents had three, four uh, minimum wage part-time jobs. You know, I was around 10 and, you know, and, and they were always gone. Like I was one of those latchkey kids where, you know, I, I didn't see them. Maybe like one day on the weekend, like I would go wow. to school. They were gone. Um, when I came back by myself, uh, I went to sleep and they still weren't there because they had so many jobs. Right. But we had no money. We were always broke. And I kept on thinking, why in the world would I ever have a job <laughs> if I'm going to be broke? Right? Cause I remember like my counselor would be like, oh, what are you going to do when you grow up? I was like, not be you. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know that. 
but I, I thought, you know, I'm going to get back into the business aspect of it because at least then I can sort of control my destiny, right? Sort of. I didn't really understand what that meant at that time, but I knew at least I can sort of do things on my own. Like there's no sure. boss, no one telling me how much I'm making because I did have small jobs. I had, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I worked like Tommy Hilfiger and all of those and I negotiated good pay and all these, you know, benefits and all this stuff, but it was still garbage. Right. You're going to get rich, you know, at those jobs. Right. So I went back in business a little bit and I, I always wanted to do music too. It was like those two things I wanted to do since I was little, some business stuff and music. So I went super hard in the music industry in my early twenties. Like I went to a pool sale, sure. which is a recording school. And I went to the music studios in New York and I had my own group and you know, blah, 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 because I was doing hip hop and I understood my, you know, music, right? Like you got to be young, you got to be damaged, you got to be angry, or you're Mm -hmm. not really going to be listened to, right? So I, like, I I still have people like asking me from back then, like, oh, are are you going to put something out? I was like, I can't. I'm not angry anymore. I don't, you know, there's there's nothing there. There's (laughs) nothing left. Don't have that fire, yeah. There's, yeah. (laughs) I don't have that sitting under my, you know, housing project, you know, drinking a 40, pissed off at the world feeling. I don't. My life right. is so good now. Like there's no, you know, so I kind of knew that going in. So I got it all done in like my early, early twenties. Sure. And I kept on thinking, you know, like I got to go back in business, but there are some things, some key parts, elements that I just didn't have yet. Like I could sell and persuade people, mm-hmm. but I didn't know why it worked, which I thought was a big problem. Right. Like right. it's, it was like, okay, am I just naturally pretty good? Lucky. Um, that doesn't seem like a good way to go into business Unluck and natural skill. You know what I mean? I like know. you need coaching. Yeah. So I made this play in New York where I started getting hired by all these different corporations as a sales guy. And I mean, this was like eight or nine, right? Cause I figured when they hire you, they give you training. Mm-hmm. They put you out on the streets or on the phones. I did inside sales, outside sales, retail. I did everything, right? But my plan was I'm going to get coaching from them, work for a couple months. When I know what I'm doing, I'm going to quit and move to the next company, which they hated. But I thought it was like the most brilliant thing, right? I was like, okay, it's a (laughs) win-win. Right. Right. So after doing that for about three, four years, I think, I felt good. I was like, because look, if you can sell, you're always in business, you know, like, obviously you got to learn other things, but a lot Mm -hmm. of other parts can be paid for, right? Customer service issues, pay someone to do it. Problems with accounting, pay an accountant. Like there's a lot of things you can solve with money as long as you have money coming in. Right. So that's kind of when my online career started again, because I, I realized that I just don't want to do anything brick and mortar. I owned a record store when I was younger. Um, After all my sales jobs, I had a little weird impulsive thing happening where I bought a coffee shop and I don't drink coffee. Mm -hmm. And I quickly realized it sucks. It was the food business too, which you can imagine, right? right? With all the inspectors and fire department coming through and all of these, I was like, I was like, dude, like I'm not going to make any money. Mm -mm. You know, and and what I realized, um, and I didn't know this before, and maybe some listeners don't too. If you pay someone $15 in a regular job as an owner in America, 
you have to pay around another $15 to the government for unemployment insurance, all this stuff, right? So yes. you pay $30 for someone that's barely doing anything. That's also asking you why they're not getting paid more. I'm like, go ask Uncle Sam. He's got the other half. But, you know, that doesn't really work, which for me was like, I'm not doing this anymore. With the rent, with the spoilage, with, you know, all these different issues, and especially now with COVID, yeah, you're free to shut down any type of platform, anything or any person online, but you can't reopen your business. I was like, oh, that's great freedoms, right? So I, I kind of was lucky in a way by just being so annoyed at the situation and why I put a constraint on my other businesses and said, I will never be in a location controlled by the local government or right. any other government. So that was my online kind of, you know, like trampoline. Entry. Yep. Yeah. And and the first thing I sold was SEO. Um, when I was looking for something to do online, I went on some forums and I seen, you know, back then SEO was very simple, very easy. This was like 11 years ago. Yep. Very simple stuff. No website, no business card. I was like, I'm going to get paid to learn. So I went to my mechanic. I went to my favorite restaurant, all these places. And I sold them on the idea that I'm going to get you more business, get you up on Google. I showed them on the phone, on my laptop. They paid me and I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And I knew it's not hard because it wasn't back then. So I figured it out. And I was living around Atlanta at the time in a town Mm -hmm. called Athens, Georgia, which is a very small college town. And to rank someone for, you know, to be a number one mechanic in Athens, Georgia back then, was Pretty like easy. 30 minutes of where. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it didn't take much, you know, to figure it out. And I moved to Atlanta because the town was just too small for me because I was moving all around anyways. And it wasn't much different. Right. For a lot of niches, like fans, companies and stuff, I was like, this is super, super easy. Moving companies, even though they were very competitive, still not hard. A lot of them were just being so shady that, you know, just by being fairly, I guess, wide hat like just a little bit it was very Mm -hmm. long-term ranking so it was an easy business but it was also a very crappy business in a lot of ways it it was service-based so it wasn't scalable right is that what you mean by crappy that's that's one piece of it like i don't ever really really recommend service businesses for a lot of reasons but it was crappy for two different parts the industry itself very shady very Mm. shady you know, the SEO industry, just by me meeting my competition, I was like, man, I don't know if I want to hang out with these. Like right. one of my friends used to ask me before, like when you start a business, you should have something you're going to be proud to talk about on a stage, you know, and that kind of takes out like selling dildos and sex shops and SEOs, you know, like the, all these things. I was like, That's <laughs> You put kind of, it right in that category. <laughs> just okay. Right in there, just right in there. <laughs> and the second part was, so this was a second constraint, which I put on my businesses after that. Um, Google controls the whole field. And right. I do not like running a business where someone else controls the playing field. Mm-hmm. So Amazon, Facebook, type agency, anything like that. I am. I mean, it's fine if you want to make extra money and have a side hustle, but that's not right. a primary business ever, mm-hmm. ever to be a primary business. Mm-hmm. And then with services, I mean, you kind of set it all, right? It's great right. to get your expertise going. It's great to learn what your customers want before you productize it or start selling shovels in the industry or put courses out. Yep. But it's always a means to an end. Like you don't want to be 55 still running a service biz right. the same way when you're 25. It's horrible. And I know some people doing that 
And usually they don't look so good at that time, right? Like, and then they'll tell me, you know, they'll tell me like, dude, I wish I spent my last 10, 15 years actually building something, Mm -hmm. which, you know, once again, you learn this, you know, as you, as you go through, hopefully, hopefully. Um, But yeah, so, so those were kind of things and then everything else kind of opened and, and moved out from that. Like from the SEO, we did more of a general marketing agency from the marketing agency and the SEO. Some client asked me first, Hey, can you know, you did a good job for me with SEO. Can you build a course for me? And I was like, oh, it's, I have no idea. Just say but yes. We did it. But we did it. Yeah. <laughs> then like two years later, once we got the course up, Hey, I want you to market this. You do such a good job marketing. I was like, I've never done it before, but fine. Sure. Right? And that's like with anything. Yeah. Like someone told me, you know, like, hey, you should do a podcast. You have a lot of opinions. It's like dumbest idea ever. Podcast next week is out. Right. <laughs> like all these. All, so, so you do sure. got to put things out. You do got to complete things, you know, and then kind of luck happens from there. And after doing some of these online course marketing, you know, clients, um, I quickly realized that instead of being a small fish in a big marketing pond and competing with Jay Abraham and all these top guys who exactly you should definitely pick over me. Um, I can go in a smaller pond. And then if someone says, well, why shouldn't I pick? I was like, well, they know nothing about courses or what I found out my um, new niche, the course marketing niche was very lazy. So mm. all the top people in that niche don't actually want to do anything for you. They want to teach you through courses or programs, right? So I'm like, by actually getting in and creating these services, we're going to be the number one person in the niche that's actually performing work. Yes. Which which made it extremely easy to, you know, get traction and pick the right clients. And, you know, so uh, again, it's not the longest term thing, but look, man, if you can pick all your best clients, you don't have to work much. You get paid a lot. It's a great life. And at the same time, you can build an audience and you can put out all these other things sure. that eventually allow you to say no more clients. Or you go like Russell Brunson and be like, well, if we want this done, it's going to be a million dollars now. Right. Because that's what he's doing. Yeah. Yep. So it's still, you know, there's a factor of that in there. But I find niching down was actually the best thing that we ever did. In so you, business. you essentially, you have a service business, but you're, you're a marketing firm for courses or people creating courses. Only, yeah, right? only for online courses and only certain clients. Right. And so we gotcha. really, after working for so many years, we figured out who we really want to work with. Yep. And it's just so easy for us because it's, we're only taking layups and slam dunks mm-hmm. at this moment. Nice. So that's kind of what you want to do. Um, but again, we're building a lot of other things out to let us not work with clients. So it's the best position to be where you have the best clients coming yep. to you, but you actually don't need them. And, yes, and that's, a, right. that's a good place to be in a service business. I guess I would say it's the best place because look, service businesses still suck. And I tell my clients, I actually wish I didn't have to work with them at all. Just like I told my employees, I wish I had no employees whatsoever. I I love my employees, but I'm like, if I could fire all of you and replace you with a machine, please, you know, but that's just life. (laughs) Such a motivating (laughs) boss. (laughs) Well, look, man, I I motivate them to start their own gigs and hustle. Sure. Like if my employee tells me, hey, Tom, I'm starting my own service business. I'm like, how can I help? 
Nice. Good for you. So, so yeah. So they know that I'm, I'm all the way behind them, but look, man, like we got to be honest and who wants to deal with employees and they know me, like we're like best of friends. They've been with me for 10 years, some of them. Mm -hmm. And still like, we know, we all know, like, you know, Tom could, yeah, that would be a place. <laughs> Let's unpack a few things there and I'll give you my a quick background that relates to your circumstances. Coming out of college, I quickly started a service business. My, my background is software, software engineering. So building like websites and apps and, and all that good stuff. Um, and learned very quickly how limited you can scale the business. And the only way to do it is to keep adding more, more people. You can build an agency like Gary V, right? He's got several hundred employees and people have considered that potentially scalable. I'm like, no, it's, it's not scalable. If you want to keep ramping up revenue, you got to keep adding more people. And, and I, and, and I will say this, there, there's a lot of listeners on my podcast and guests that they have service businesses. And, and I recommend you do a service business if you love providing the service, right? Like I've had, I've got a friend who's a landscaper. I've got another friend who's an electrician. They love what they do. Great. Do that. But no, and they already know, like, you're not going to scale that type of business, you know, and it, your, your, your mindset's more like mine is I always wanted that software, some kind of online, like rocket ship type business model that, you know, your, your revenue is not tied to a service it's tied to a product or some kind of leveraged delivery. And you, yeah, it sounds no like you very much get that. Yeah, yeah exactly. No I, That's what you're looking for. You, you can serve more people at, at the same time too, instead of, you know, 10 people, 20 people, whatever, you can serve hundreds, thousands, you get big enough, you can serve millions. But, but um, I, I have a few questions here about your model today, and then we'll jump into, you've got a lot of good questions that we we're talking about uh, before the, the podcast. Um, how big is your team today? Uh, it's six people. We went down okay. from 14 and it's still too big, I think. <laughs> <laughs> just being blunt okay well yeah. there, there's this book i read um the company of one i highly highly recommend it it's a very short book and it's this anti-hustle anti-go big and still make money and have a good life and after i read that book we simplified everything and we you know mm -hmm. we we re kind of did the business so now i, I have um 50 to 60 percent of my week to work on my own stuff and still make about the same money as before. But that sure. joke changed a lot for us. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Um, and I assume your pricing model in this agency is it's a reoccurring, like it's a monthly fee you're charging your customers for ongoing promotion. Is that right? So we're actually a bit too good. And what that means is that once we get things going, you don't mm -hmm. really need us after a couple months, which is a good okay. and a bad thing. It's good because I get bored very quickly, Okay, you know, but it's bad because we kind of do the same thing over and over, which again is good because we have good systems and we know when someone comes in, like we're going to do, do this, this and that, and then they'll probably be gone in three, four months. And then the next person is already on the waiting list. So, you know, these problems are kind of all good and bad at the same time when you really think sure. about them. Yeah. Sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I, I've seen people who have a service business. I've, and like I said, I've had a few people have them and they they're running them really fantastic. I've got a Harry Sanders is a SEO guy from Australia and he's, he's got an incredible business, but he runs it different than the scammers you run into. He's, yeah. he's very um, high integrity, um, very transparent and, and puts his clients on a re reoccurring 
be another guy I talk to. He's got a like a sales team. He he charges a monthly fee, um, and just a super super cool guy. But anyway, um, service businesses, product businesses, they're they're very different, and how you scale them is very different. But um, can you give us a little hint? What are you working on? right now that's more scalable. Like you've got a few things going on the side you kind of alluded to. One of the things we're um, attempting to do is group coaching. Okay. Very scalable. Um, We throw people into the group. We can do hundreds of people. It takes me one or two hours per week. Okay. And we'll kind of, yeah. So, so that's going to be one of them. The second one is, well, there's actually a couple different things in there, but we're playing with productized models. So sure. we looked at some of these content, um, you know, businesses and then WP Curve, which one of my friends sold. And and we figured out there are a couple things around sales pages and emails, which okay. we can probably do for the course creators, just in our niche, um, very productized and, you know, super easy. So we're playing around with that. And then there's some software stuff, which... We're starting to get into also, yeah. Let's take a quick commercial break. Have you ever lost money in the stock market? You either listened to someone you know, heard a comment on the news, or tried to follow a trend. Yeah, I think we've all been there. Most people lose money in the stock market because they make decisions based on emotions. What if you could remove emotions from investing? What if you could make consistent returns in the stock market based solely on logic? And what if there's a software that handled that logic for you? Introducing Ticker, a platform that helps you reduce risk, save money, and invest confidently. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.pro, T-Y-K-R.pro. Again, ticker.pro. And I've seen that before with age. I would consider your model and agencies. A few other people I know have agencies. And once you get good enough at your service within an agency, whether it's doing Facebook ads or SEO or um, uh, copywriting or building sales funnels or whatever, you get you get good enough that you can kind of back down your hours. Instead of working 40, you drop to 30, you drop to 20, but you're still charging the same amount because you're, op- you're um, improving the efficiencies of the service model, which allows you, and I've seen a few people do this, so they can focus on other things. Like I got a guy, he, he gets into real estate as well, invest in real estate, um, another person is a coach, you know, looking like scaling a coaching business, but, but, um, yeah, that, that's really good to hear. I, I, we won't unpack those anymore. I want to dive into some of the fun questions we we're kind of discussing both beforehand. So, okay. How do you quickly know which business is a good idea or a bad idea? Well, this is something I learned, which is actually common sense, but those things are usually very hard. It's got to make money very quickly. You know, and then hopefully you set up constraints before you started that business because a lot of things that make money also become things which you hate doing after a while because you didn't really think them through. You let the clients kind of dictate how your business Mm -hmm. is going to run, which you never, ever, ever, ever do. Like you are the one who controls what's happening in your business, what you're providing, not the clients. Yep. And I I will tell you this, in, in the beginning, I was a little scared of doing that. Someone, you know, was asking for, hey, can you do marketing? Yes. Can you also grow my YouTube? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, we can. Now? No. Right. No. Yeah. Learn to say no. Yeah. And, and the thing I'll tell people, and, and they really like that. I'm like, look, we could, but you're going to end up paying a premium price for something that one, 
we don't want to actually do. And two, we're no better at than some Fiverr or Upwork guy. Because right. I personally could care less about growing your podcast. So even though we could do it, why don't you just save yourself a couple hundred and just pick someone else? <laughs> They'll do the same type of work and they may maybe actually like it. And let's focus on the course marketing. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. It relates to a book I read year like 10 years ago, Good to Great. You know, don't be good at multiple things, be great at one thing. It sounds like you're uh, you're doubling down on being great at course. You, you gotta double down on your strengths. This whole thing about like bringing your weaknesses up is garbage. Yeah. Right. You know, because you that's like saying, like, you know. I want to shoot the basketball like LeBron and I'm horrible at it. And eventually I'll be able to No, never ever in my life will I be able to do that. There's only a couple things that I'm good at. Like one of them is selling and I, I double down on things like that. All right. Here's another question. What are three things that separate every successful online course from one that's failing? Well, the first thing is treating it as a business. For some reason, people think when they put an online course out, it's like some magical little unicorn that's going to start working by itself and you don't need to actually do anything with it. Like, hey, I put it out and, you know, like one of the first questions we ask someone that's um, trying to validate their course with us, we, we do it sometimes, not often, because it's a high risk situation for us. Um, has anyone ever asked you for it? <laughs> Point blank, <laughs> right. <laughs> And often it's like, well, no, but I think everyone needs it. I'm like, you you think everyone needs it. You right? think. Yeah. And what what usually happens there? Do they are they convinced that maybe they shouldn't move forward or, or maybe give us I trust? try to convince them to not go forward. Like that's my job. Like what I found out lately, like my job and my sales pages job is not to get people in, is to push as many people away. And it doesn't always work. Like we still have some like, dude, like, uh, you know, I have a huge budget and I know this is going to work. And I'm like, we have two different outcomes here. Probable. There's, there's a third one, but I, that's such a small percentage that um, I usually tell them don't count it out. The, the small percentage one out is like, yeah, what you made actually works and people will want it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that, that's that two or 3%. Let's not really, you know, sure. The main outcome is like when we're going to put this out and people are going to completely ignore it because nobody wants it. You never ask them, they never asked you and they don't want it. The second outcome is that I'm going to start doing my marketing and I'm going to find out that what people want is not what you made. Right. And then you got to do the course that actually people want. Yeah. And this happened many, many times with the validation. Yeah. So for validation, I, I usually try to tell people to just don't do it. But we you know That's if right. they came with a big budget, they spent two years making a course and they, you know, I'm like, well, it's such a high risk situation for the both of us. I got to just make sure, you know, you sleep on it for the next three weeks before we even talk about it. So that's another thing, right? People who don't actually have something that people want because no one asked them, that's usually a big failure, right? ones that have only internal motivation and not external motivation are also a little harder to get going from the beginning. A lot of them do get going, mm -hmm. but they just don't get going as quickly. So external motivation would be something like, let's say you need to get a life insurance job, right? Sure. You're getting hired, you got the application in. Um, and they say, you need to pass your series six exam. 
or series seven, depends which, you know, what you're mm -hmm. going for. And you have four weeks external motivation, right? right? Or you don't get the job. So now you have a couple options. You can learn it by yourself. I passed the series six, not a good idea. Um, you could go to the branch and they can provide you someone. So I did that, you know, it took me three hours every weekend to drive down from where I was in Brooklyn in Greenpoint to Bay Ridge and back mm -hmm. and forth, right? That wasn't fun. Or you can do it online. And also if your firm maybe is not in New York, right? And it's like in a smaller town, maybe your trainer is actually really crappy too, the one you go to see. So the online space allows you to pay for the best person in the world from wherever you're at, right? So that's externally motivated. Yes. Um, since we're already kind of talking about that, um, there's one other niche that works very, very well. And that's when you have a small group of people and small, I mean, that could be 30, 40,000. This is worldwide. Yep. That are crazy about some obscure hobby, right? And usually you can find those um, by looking at the different forums online. And if there's something that looks like it was made in the 90s and it's still full of engagement, you just hit the jackpot. Okay. Right. So that niche works really well too. And the, the third one is, and this is a big factor that you can't really change, and that's the actual teacher. So when you normally sell something, whether it's online or offline, the only thing you need to worry about is the product market fit or service market fit, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The things with courses is product, market, educator fit. If people don't find you entertaining and they don't like learning from you, and there's another guy who is entertaining, he's going to clean up. He's going to clean up. Wow. You know? So it's, it's, it's that extra factor, which when I sometimes tell people, you know, it's, it's hard to accept, but I'm like, yep. everything is good except you. <laughs> yes. yes. You know, good but point. it's reality. That's business. You know, that's business. Um, but those are the three things, right? So um, treating it as a business, um, getting your niche right, you know, the, depending on the motivation and like you got to kind of, you yeah. know, go in there if you want to make it easy. And then the educator, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a big part of it. Before somebody invests the time, because I've got a friend who he's he's got a really solid niche. He's a wedding officiant. And now he's starting to teach other people about becoming an officiant. So he wants to put up a course. And I almost want to tell him, maybe pump the brakes on that. And maybe there's something you can do first. Is there something to prove the market or prove the product market fit before you invest the time to create the course? So that's something that we do sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. But it depends, it depends on the client. But here's what sure. I would tell them. If you have some sort of an audience already, you know, you can try to pre-sell it and see if they will, you know. So what you could do, and I actually have someone um, that I did this with recently, two different people. Um, I said, instead of trying to figure out and assume things, once again, you know, like put things yeah. out before people mm -hmm. asking for it. Let's see if we can pre-sell them into some kind of an online situation where you're live maybe a like three a month, like, like a, 
maybe like a three-week boot camp workshop, something where you can get feedback live and kind of adjust it and do a couple lessons and figure out what's working, what's not. And then based on that, create the actual online course. There you go. You know, because often what happens is when it's, it's like what, you know, the Mike Tyson thing, you know, the strategy and plans go out the window when you start getting hit in the face. <laughs> so it's the same thing when you get live in front of people and you start teaching stuff and then they quickly tell you like, this is not what we want. Like I'm, I'm here, you know, in this situation, I need you to tell me this. Why, why aren't you teaching it? And based on that, you can very, very quickly get things going. Yeah, I, good point. Yeah, um, you can kind of navigate that. You're right. You, can, I, yeah, you, you could go off it. in left fields. And, and I, I could imagine that scenario, like you're listening or watching and this teacher is going off in left field. It's like, no, I need to know this, this, and this. And you're teaching that over there. Like you, my next move would be to cancel it, right? Or like close the window and move on. It would be, it would be, but, but it's all about positioning, right? So what I tell these clients is that we're going to sell it sort of broadly. Like, you know, the, the theme is going to be sort of broad. And the whole idea here is that people know this is kind of a beta test. And right. you will move depending on what they want. So a bigger thing is going to be Q&A and then the next lesson will be more tuned to the, what the people want. And hopefully by the four weeks, they learn what they needed to and you learn what they want, right? Sure. Because this is like a both, yeah, but you get paid for it, you know? Sure. Um, if you can't even figure out the theme, because it's happened before with one client, he couldn't really figure out at all what his audience wanted, right? So we did a very simple thing. We switched the buy button for the online bootcamp to a call me button. And then mm. he would get on the phone with them and actually figure out what's the direction yes. to even take this bootcamp, right? So it's a lot of feedback. That's the best way. Because then you know what the people want and what to actually teach them. And you take them through. Now you have testimonials, case studies, you figure this out. Your sales funnel is halfway built because we somehow got them in. Now we just got to tighten it up, right? Based on yep. what you know the feedback was. Um, but that's sort of how you do it the right way. That's awesome. Yeah. Good advice. Let's get into another good question here. Um, I love this one. Why we all need to stop listening to internet marketers. All right. Let me ask you this. You've read a lot of business books. I bet just like me, oh, for sure. But you've read, wrote books on, um, read books on different, uh, people, you know, biographies, on businesses, you know, maybe how Instagram started, how Facebook, anything. Mm -hmm. Have you ever built a business like Instagram by reading a book on how Instagram started? Is it even possible? Just by reading? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's happening, because the books are the biggest time suck, right? Right. People think if I read all these biographies and stuff like, dude, no. no, no, it's not. I read a Warren Buffett biography when I was 16. It was the only thing I could find. I'm not even close to be Warren Buffett and it's not possible. So the second thing you got to realize with the gurus, right? Like pass the books now, pass the books. People t telling you online about all their, you know, failures and successes, blah, blah, blah. And how things actually came to be. All you're hearing is survivorship bias, right? That's it. Mm -hmm. You're finding the few people who actually made it through that are now looking back and trying to justify and kind of, you know, how things worked and what happened. And you're basing your plans on that. 
because because that's what because that's what we do right like if anything happens like anything bad or good to us we somehow look back and like it happened because i woke up that day and then i got into the car and i didn't look both ways that's why someone hit me or you know i got super lucky and you know i got that lottery ticket and then this person called me and i actually picked up the, you know like we always look back and like say like well all it took was me being there every single day and showing up well there's a lot of people who show up every day and don't make it right true all all that it took it was two years of me putting out content every single day again a lot of people put out content every single day still don't make it right it's always survivorship bias that we're listening to and this is why I just say avoid gurus. You can't build a business based on reading a book or a biography or listening to someone. Right. You cannot. They don't know your situation. They don't know. Like, I guess that, you know, the best thing you could do is try to speak to someone that's been through what you've been through mm-hmm. already, but in a way where that you actually explain your situation and then they can maybe guide you through some of the missteps and tell you like, well, these are some minds that you might walk into. So be careful and stuff, but no one can actually tell you, you know, like if they have a lot of experience with marketing, yes, they can take your business, find out and kind of market it for you, but they can't build your business for you. Right. You know, it's still like, there are pieces you can put out. Like if you're horrible at customer service, you can get someone that's great at customer service and help you build a team and all this stuff, but they still can't build your whole business for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at very small parts of what you're doing, that's when you maybe can read a book or listen to someone. Right. But what I find most people do is, you know, they listen to someone and kind of put them on this pedestal. And if I follow him, I'm going to be just like him. You'll never be like that person no. ever. You no, can't. You're right. I almost apply it like the, the 80, 20 rule is 20%. You can apply to the education, the intake, you know, reading, watching YouTube, whatever, but the 80% has to be action. And I, I've used analogy with people and I love your feedback on this. Maybe it's a dumb analogy, but if you want to ride a bike, you can read a book until you're blue in the face on how to ride a bike, but you're not going to learn how to ride a bike until you actually go try to ride that bike, right? At age three, four, five, six, whatever. And the same thing is with business. Like you can read, I know, I know guys today, they are still working corporate jobs. They don't like women too. And all they do is read. Well, I've been reading and I've been reading. I'm, re- I'm like, what action are you taking? Zero, zero yeah. action on the side. And I'm like, you're not going to move the needle. You have to take action. Yeah. Like I said, no one's ever built a business by reading a business book. <laughs> no, no, it's not possible. Right. Just like I tell some people, no one's ever got smarter by listening to the news. Right. right. Like these things just don't, don't really work. Now you can kind of get an idea. Like there are, there are good books, right? Like business books, like, like shoe dog, um, the Nike book. If you read that and it'll probably be more helpful if you actually had a business for a while, mm-hmm. it'll make you realize that the stuff that you're going through could be so, so much worse, you know? And that's kind of what you'll take away from something like that. It'll be just like, it, it could be much, much worse. I could have been in a way worse situation. Sure. And trying to solve that instead of what I'm solving now, and which is actually not that bad. Right. And right. and the one thing I'll, I'll tell the listeners too, um, in the beginning, everything feels <laughs> like it's the end of the world when you're starting a business. But the one message I got from a friend that was a little bit ahead of me, and I'll share with you too, mm-hmm. is if you just keep doing what you're doing a year from now, 
what you think is difficult and hard and problematic now will be just another day. Business as usual. And the things which would have broke me maybe 10, 12 years ago in my business, now I don't lose any sleep. I'm like, I'll look at it after lunch tomorrow. Like I just that's awesome. It's, it's, you know, yeah. so but this is what happens to all of us. We get thicker skins, which is the good part, but we also become a little more jaded, which is not yes. such a good part because we've gone yes. through so much of this nonsense. We're like, yeah, whatever. What else are you gonna throw at me? I'll figure it out tomorrow, right? So it's right. it's a good and a bad thing again. Let's take a quick commercial break. Do you wish you would have bought some stocks earlier? Imagine buying Amazon for $125 in 2010. Today, Amazon is over $2,500. Imagine buying Facebook for $25 in 2013. Today, Facebook is over $200. And imagine buying Netflix for $60 in 2014. Today, Netflix is over $400. Do you feel like you find out about great stocks too late? What if you could find great stocks before they become mainstream news? And what if there's a software that found those stocks for you? With Ticker, you can find great stocks before what feels like the rest of the world finds out. Ticker was inspired by successful investors, including Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, and my mentor, Phil Town. If you want to know how they consistently beat the market, Ticker is your solution. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.pro. That's T-Y-K-R dot pro again ticker dot pro no that's great that's a good position to be in i've kind of arrived there too as i've been able to separate emotions from business like the businesses i'm building i'm like i just look at them as tools i didn't have the business i'd go create another business it's like a game in a way that's a bit like a game you know it's you just kind of figure out the rules and then you know just see how much you feel like playing it yeah good good point all right, I got another one here. Why is the information age done and what should we focus on now? If you think back, not even that long ago, maybe like 10, 15 years ago, and think of any sales guy, right? Because mm-hmm. we all know salespeople or we've been in a sales position. You remember when back then everyone would buy like six or seven tapes? that were motivational or help you with sales, Zig Ziglar or Jim Rohn. For sure. Guys, right? we would Tony Robbins. Tapes. Yeah, Tony Robbins. <laughs> and we would pay six, $700 for this amazing information. Is anyone still doing that now? It's all on YouTube. It's free. Like every week, just watch all that nonsense, you know, anywhere you want to. Information is free. No one was going to yep. pay that much for it. Now it's all about outcomes and transformations, right? With online courses, the only thing people care about now is I'm here. That's spot A, and I want to get to B. How are you going to help me get there? So, for example, I need to make a little bit of extra income, and I think your model is good. So, you're going to teach me drop shipping, or you're going to teach me an Amazon business, or you're going to teach me how to open a service agency or a cold email. Sure. Like, you're going to actually teach me something, right? I don't know how to paint a picture. You will now teach me how to paint the picture, or I don't know how to calm my mind. So you will teach me 20 minute meditations and blah, blah, blah. And you help you go through that. It's all about outcomes and, and, and that now. Um, and back to courses that don't sell. Mm-hmm. Anyone that comes to me with like, I have this great idea. I'm an accountant and I want to teach people the basics of uh, finance. I'm like, dude, like that is a five minute video on YouTube. Right. You know, 
or some lady says like, I'm going to teach people three minute meditations. I'm like, do you, you do realize that's also free on YouTube now? Like you need to tie it into something else. Sure. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, like information stuff. We have more than enough information now. Back then we did not. Like I growing up didn't have the podcasts and, and the internet right. that we have now. So that's why I said I picked up a Warren Buffett book. Would I do it mm -hmm. now? No, no way. There's no, right. no reason for me to go after, but there was nothing else. So back then, all of us paid a lot of money because we wanted to know that one thing that everybody else knows. Mm -hmm. You know, like if he's successful, he listened to these tapes, he must know something we don't. Right. We're now like it's, you know, we don't really look at it that way. So not to the extent, like you can still sell small things on Udemy. You can still use celebrity and status to sell these things, but it's sure. a different field. Um, but a regular nobody, which is the common educator, that doesn't work. Right, right. Where do you see the the course industry going? And I'll, I'll give a little context here. I really saw things start to pick up around 2010. I was probably paying attention to. I never, I have to admit, I always was the guy to know they were selling a course, analyze how it was all put together, what platform it used, and then I'd go over and listen to their free content. <laughs> like in, in guys like Tony Robbins, Brendan Burchard, Frank Kern, Jeff mm -hmm. Walker, even uh, Russell Brunson, same thing. I never, never once paid for their courses and always found ways to figure out what they're doing via the free. And I was always fascinated why these courses sell and then it's an industry. Do you feel like it's kind of tailing off or is it increasing? What, what is your perception? The industry as a whole is increasing. Is it? The industry as a whole is increasing by a lot, but the 80-20 rule mm -hmm. is also solidifying. So the best, best teachers in the world are cleaning up and everyone else is kind of picking up the scraps. Gotcha. Just like with anything else. Now, if you ask me where it's heading, you should start looking at industries who are much ahead of us. You know, mm -hmm. in the US, we're always a little bit behind. Um, China and South Korea would be the top examples for online education. And anyone listening that wants to know what's gonna happen, type in South Korea celebrity teachers and see where the industry is going. There's a lot of articles on it and see that these are becoming like mini celebrities, huge influencers, but they're the best teacher on the topic in the country. And like I said, once again, why would you go learn something from an average person when you can get the best one in the world to teach it to you? Right. And I think that's the right way, right? Like the best teachers in the world should be the ones teaching everybody, mm -hmm. you know? So again, you know, positives and negatives on, on both sides. As an industry, it's doing really well. Um, still a little bit of a wild, wild west, you know, sure. can still make okay. it happen. Um, but I'm seeing, you know, some people are, are taking the, you know, the first mover position and they're going to be very hard to catch up to. Wow. Okay. You know, so... Again, you know, if you're the best at what you're doing, incredible opportunities. If you're average and you're one of these non-entertaining teachers, you might hit some walls very quickly. Well, this has been the most insightful podcast episode I've had on courses to date. This is amazing um, and great to hear your perspective on where the industry is going because I had my assumptions, but uh, I, I was glad to hear you say it. It is increasing. So, so the, the one thing I would just want to add mm -hmm. is... You know, you mentioned, you know, Russell and, and Anthony and, and all these people. 
think of your value ladder at all times. You know, the sure. free information is there to get you into the things that actually make money. And if you notice both of those, you know, Russell is very heavy on software, very heavy on live conferences, and then very, very expensive things where he actually goes out. Anthony is sort of similar. You know, he has the low value ladder, which is the book. Then he's got his courses, ton of affiliate stuff. He's big yes. on affiliates. Yep. And then again, all these very expensive live experiences, right? Yeah. So he, he cares very little about you actually buying the course because he knows that the next step is you actually want to be there in person because this is what mm -hmm. these guys do. So the course, if you really think of your business holistically, you know, the entire value ladder and people that are unaware, aware, like, you know, down the chain, um, it should be just a part of the ecosystem that gets mm -hmm. them into what you actually want them to do. You know, there, there should be an end goal. The course should not be that, hey, I'm going to put this out and never do anything again. It's going to make me money while I sleep. It's, it's a part of an ecosystem. You know, gotcha. that's the healthier way of thinking about it. Gotcha. No, that's great. Good to know. Cool. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to share in courses? Otherwise, we're going to jump into the rapid fire round. Enough. Like, look, if you want to create a course, try to pre-sell it, you know, try to do it yep. the way I kind of mentioned, validate it. Don't just create a course and then hope it's going to sell. It's, it's not, it's not healthy for anyone. <laughs> a lot of time up front. <laughs> and I, I've seen a lot yeah. of people invest a lot of time and money and they launch it feeling like they're just going to be generating subscribers or these large one-off purchase. No, no, <laughs> no, it doesn't happen. Let's do a rapid, uh, rapid question. All right, let's do this. So if you could answer each question in 15 seconds or less, ready? I'll try. All right. What is your favorite podcast? Uh, Tropical NBA. I got to check that out. Sounds intriguing. Well, that's All the right. ongoing one. That's the ongoing one. Um, for that, like one shot, the Naval podcast. Okay. Best thing ever, but ongoing Tropical NBA. All right. What is the recent book you read and would recommend? Uh, Company of One. What is your favorite movie? Mm, the Office. Nice. What is your favorite food? Tacos. There you go. All right. How many hours do you work per week? 20 too many. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Fair enough. All right. And how many hours of sleep do you get each night? Uh, I think it's about eight and a half. Healthy. There we go. Finally, a guy north of eight. <laughs> Most oh, yeah. people I, fall. I, uh... Uh, dude, like I fall asleep around 10 something. I wake up at seven and this is like a routine. I don't care which day it is. Like, you know, so eight, you. eight and a half, maybe even nine. Like, dude, I get my sleep. I'll even take a nap in my office. I have a couch sure. and a hammock on the balcony. And then I got one in the house too. Like I always got a place to nap. <laughs> That's great. Healthy. Most people fall between six and eight. Um, all right. Next question here. What is your workout regimen? Uh, four days a week and it's brutal. It is brutal. What I don't are you recommend doing? my workout. Oh man. You do CrossFit? Like I go in. Um, no, I don't do CrossFit, but it's all about like the, the top five, you know, deadlifts, squats, you know, bench okay. press, um, overheads and a ton of extra. They're, like it's, I go in there to kill myself pretty much physically. So <laughs> everything else is just downhill after that. Uh, but I, I would not recommend anyone to ever use my uh, workout routines. Yeah. I, I'm uh, I'm in my upper 30s here, and my days of uh, lifting heavier weights is uh, long past. 
I'm in my upper 30s too, and that's why I said I don't recommend nope. it. <laughs> yeah, no, no more risks in the gym. I play, I play pretty cool. I, I'm with you. Okay, last question here. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit, and what would you say? <laughs> I've thought about this many times. I would not listen to myself. I don't care what age it would be. There's just uh, my personality would be like, yeah, whatever. Just <laughs> you do your thing, I do mine. Okay, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't <laughs> work. It wouldn't work. Like I actually had people give me the right advice before at the right moments and not once did I take it I had to learn on my like it's I'm, I'm the worst with that <laughs> even your older <laughs> self go away I would just be like yeah I would just be like yeah get back in your time machine let me do my thing man <laughs> I love the candid response that's great all right I'll turn this last one over to you where can the audience reach you um, you can find me at smartbrandmarketing.com. That's mm -hmm. kind of the umbrella for all the other things we do. Like we market online courses and we have other things happening. But Smart Brand Marketing, that's where the podcast is. That comes out not anywhere as regularly as yours. Like it just comes out whenever I feel like it. But that's when the content is out. And you can get sure. on the newsletter, which is the only thing that does come out regularly. Okay. Great. All right, Tom. This was awesome. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. All right, take it easy. You know me. All the crowd will be mine. You can call me Hey, I just want to say thanks for checking out this podcast. I know your time is valuable, and there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to. So thanks for taking the time to listen to my guest's story. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, could you head over to iTunes and leave a five star review? That would be much appreciated. Thank you. And last but not least, on this podcast. Uh, some episodes we do talk about stocks. And please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So if you did hear any buy or sell recommendations, please don't make those decisions based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya. Don't be wasting any time. I got somewhere to be. Always on the grind. Yeah, you know me. All the crowd will be mine. You can call me king. A matter of time for you all love me. Find me at my prime right where I want to be. I'm one of a kind and no one like me.